Hey, good morning, everybody. How are you doing today? All right. Awesome. Good to see you. Well, hey, it is I Love My Church Sunday, which, as some of you may know, is a day where you get a really cool free t-shirt. Yes. And, uh, you know, I'm telling you, these are not like the kind of shirts you get, like, uh, that rip your skin apart. Like, these are good shirts. How many of you that got yours on already are like, it feels pretty good? Yeah? Awesome. I love it. I just wear a t-shirt, put a coat on, and I'm good to go for Sunday. You know what I mean? It's awesome. But uh, it's an exciting day. I want to welcome everybody, whether you've been here for a long time or if you're visiting for the first time, I want to welcome you. And uh, my name is Jake, and my wife Bethany and I are the pastors here at Joy Church. So welcome from us and the whole team here. And uh, as you can see, this is kind of a crazy zany church. We give out t-shirts and free donuts and coffee. But the reality is we're not here for that. We're, we really want every person to, to leave being encouraged and uh, have an encounter with God. And uh, really exciting about that. I don't think anybody comes uh, on a Sunday just by accident. I really believe that if you're here, God set it up for you to be here. And he has something really unique for you uh, and, and to help you take the next step on your journey of faith and journey with him. So really exciting to be here. Well, as you can see, we are launching a brand new series today called Trending, where we're talking about, here, here's my line for you. I have to read it because it's a tongue twister. You ready? It's kind of like Peter Piper picked a peck of pickled peppers. Did I get it right? All right. Our goal in this series is to connect with God's timeless truth in turbulent times when what's trending isn't necessarily what's true. You can see why I had to read it, right? Is, that, is it on the screen there? No, we don't have it. Okay, let me read it again. Our goal in this series is to connect with God's timeless truth in turbulent times when what's trending isn't necessarily what's true. How many of you know that there are the winds of change are always a-blowing, right? And what was good or acceptable or what was woke in 1975 is not the same as in 2019, right? And we see these trends throughout all levels of life, all aspects of life, going from art and culture all the way up to philosophy and religion. And really what it impacts are the big questions about life that really matters to all of us. And so we're talking about trending and the goal for this series is to connect with God's timeless truth to have some stability where in the storms of life and in the turbulent times of life, which we are living in, we have something that we can anchor ourselves to and say, hey, I might not understand everything even about myself and I might not be able to control everything in life, but I can anchor my life to what is true even in the midst of the storms. So that's what we're talking about in this series. But I think before we get into that, I wanna show you some pictures because how many of you know that what, what is thought of as acceptable and good, it changes over time. You, you recognize that? Go ahead and put my first picture up. <laughs> you say, prove it, Pastor Jake. Okay, I have. Now, let's be honest. How many men in this room are man enough? Come on, you're a real man, and you'll admit that you wore something like one of these outfits on the right. Come on, where are you at? I love it. That's awesome. I love it. That takes a real man to admit your mistakes. <laughs> this one in the middle, it looks like a cross between a ballet dancer and Star Trek, Next Generation. Anybody with me? The, awesome. And then over here, it looks like these people robbed a drape shop and, and created. <laughs> they actually, the clothes were fine. It wasn't the style. It's the fact that they were highly flammable. <laughs> All right, let's go to the next one. Yeah, come on, somebody. Boom, right there. I'll tell you what, if a man walks up to you wearing a necklace like that, run away. Twinning. <laughs> The guy over here on my right, on your left, he's, he's thinking something different than the rest of us, right? <laughs> I don't know what's going on. 
those jeans though, how many of you are like, anybody under, under 30 is like, these are cool. Come on. Yeah, I'd wear those. Stonewashed or acid washed jeans. Those are awesome. And then that kid right there, Jack, my son, is going to have that haircut someday. <laughs> we laugh, but this is coming back, guys. I'm telling you. I'm telling you, those jeans, okay? You're like, no, hello, fringe, right? That is scary. How many animals gave their life for this outfit? All right. And then those, I remember those, those outfits the ladies are wearing. My mom and my aunt legit wore something just like that. I remember giving my mom a hug as a little kid in the 80s. And like that sound, that like, what is that call? What's that? Nylon or whatever it is, yeah. Okay, next, trending. Things change over time. Hammer pants. <laughs> this guy right here wants to sell you something that you don't want to buy. <laughs> I'll say that right now. Oh man, awesome. And like some of this is coming back. Like you could rock that, that, that neon green and black jacket. Totally, totally. How many of you owned any pants like that? You and Sinbad the Sailor, right? Yeah. <laughs> The hammer pants. All right, next. This is an abomination. It's only going to be on the screen for a very short time. <laughs> Jinko jeans. How many, anybody here rock the Jinkos? You did. That's awesome. Oh my gosh, get that off of our screen. <laughs> so every one of those outfits, somebody thought putting that on, I am with it. This is where it's at. This is what's trending. This is what's cool. And we laugh right now at how ridiculous, I mean, those jeans, I guess you could fall out of an airplane and live, right? Make it. But so there is some, some practical value. But the reality is what's right, what's good, what's acceptable, it changes over time, doesn't it? In culture. And if you're too trendy, if you're too locked into what's, what's hip and what's in right now, uh, you guess what? You're going to be a picture like that in somebody's message 20 years from now. How many of you know we're going to look back from right now and look at what we were wearing and what we were doing. And like, and we're going to go, man, what, what was going on? What was I thinking with the outfit, that hairstyle, right? Because if you remember, those of you that lived through the 70s, uh, you remember that was like, if you saw somebody walking down the street dressed like that, what do you think? Nothing. It's cool, right? It's in. Uh, if it, in the early 2000s, I don't know. I think Jinko jeans were still not cool in the early 2000s. That's just me. But I remember like some of those things, early 2000s, you know, the frosted tips, guys, right? Come on, frosted tips and boy bands and all this stuff. What was trending was in in that moment and nobody thought twice. And then as we get some perspective and as things pass on and we move forward, we look back and we go, gosh, that was really off. But here's the thing. It's funny when it comes to clothes, but the problem is when you follow the trend, when it comes to the things that really matter in life, the big questions, what is ultimately real? What is, where is truth? What is truth? How do we determine what's true? And what is right about morality? How do we live our lives? How do we exist as human beings on this planet and interact with each other? When those big questions come in, if you just get stuck in following the trend of what culture says is right and true and good, and what an individual says is right and true and good, and you don't lock into what God says is right and true and good, you're going to fall into a trap, okay? So that's what we're talking about in this series, how to, you know, how to pierce through just what's trending and get to connected to God's timeless truth. In Matthew chapter seven, Jesus talks about this. He says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. Somebody say wise. Like a person who builds a house on solid rock. He's saying, hey, you can anchor your life to me if you listen to what I say. And you, and you watch what I do. If you follow me and you apply it in life, you're going to be building your house on solid rock. And then he talks about what always happens, the storms of life. Though the rain comes and torrents and floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. 
But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish like a person who builds a house on sand. And when that storm comes, it's gonna fall with a mighty crash. And so what Jesus is talking about is there's two options here. In life, you can either anchor yourself to what's timeless or you can follow the trend and you can be popular and cool and acceptable in the moment and be the talk of the town, be the talk of the party. But the problem is when the storm comes, if you are not built on what is solid and what is right and what is true, what is timeless, you're gonna have a problem. And here's the thing, guys, we live in a culture in which truth is a fluid concept. It's amazing, but what we hear right now all the time, if you get on social media at all, you'll hear and you'll see in a million different ways, it comes in different packages, but it's basically the same thing, which is relativism, which is this, I have my truth, you have your truth. And, and because we've created our own truth, we've kind of created our own bubble of truth, we kind of dictate what is true for us and we reject what we don't like and we sort of you know, borrow from different worldviews and things. What happens is it destroys relationships, but we see that truth is a fluid concept. The baseline measurements of right and wrong, of true and false, of good and bad, those are in flux and there's no agreement in culture. We live in a culture of disagreement. Are you with me? How many of you have ever been on social media of any kind at any time ever for any length of time? Anybody here, right? I should have got you all, right? I was casting a really wide net there. You go on Twitter for five minutes and you are gonna find extreme hostility about what is right, wrong. Come on, somebody. You're gonna find out. And let me just tell you, if you take a stand on anything, whether you're right or wrong, there are plenty of people that are willing to take you down a notch. Believe me, I've tried. One time I tried to, to have a tweet that was in, in some way um, promoting a view or something, and I just realized right away how bad of an idea that was, you know? <laughs> Emma knows about this too, right, Emma? You never, you never experienced that. We live in a culture in which disagreement is the norm. The only thing really that is intolerable is intolerance of someone else's belief. Um, you can do whatever you want as long as you don't disagree with my view, and if they collide, heaven help us. And people don't agree about what's right? And the, really, the reason is because they don't agree about what's true and they really don't agree with what's real. And, and this becomes an issue of worldview. So the culture that we're living in is a very confused culture because we have all of these trends that have come together. And I'm, I'm going to do my best not to bore you to death today. Um, you go, well, you're good at it every other week, but I'll do my best today. Uh, not to bore you to death by getting too into the weeds um, of philosophy and the movements of history and culture and how that comes together. But I think it's important for us to understand what, what we're living in in the cultural moment and what's trending now and why it's very dangerous and why it's so valuable for us to get back to and say, God, we're gonna anchor ourselves on you. So for the next couple of weeks as we go through this series, we're, it's gonna require that we come to church on Sunday and put our thinking caps on. Come on, everybody, put your thinking cap on, you know? Uh, yeah, get a donut, right? Dull your senses a bit, but then get your thinking cap on because we're gonna dig into this stuff. So today I wanna talk about worldview uh, and why this whole trending question, this truth question that we're talking about today is really an issue of worldview. Now, worldview is a term that you've probably heard, but let me just simply describe it and define it for you real quick. Worldview, are you ready for this? This is deep. It's the way you view the world. How many of you, did I lose anybody? We're good? Okay, we're all on board. Worldview is the way you view the world. It's not necessarily what you see, it's how you see. Are you with me? When you put on, you know, you ever looked through one of those kaleidoscopes or whatever that makes everything look crazy and silly and, and colorful and all that, kind of like those people's outfits that were up there, um, you're not actually changing what's real, but you're changing your perception and your view. That's what a worldview is. It's not what you see, it's how you see. It's, it's your interpretation of reality that's shaped by your experiences and it's shaped by what you believe. 
what you believe through, uh, through reason, what you believe through education, what you believe through presupposition, the things that you assume are true, the things that you hold to be true. And the reality is every person has a worldview. It's unavoidable. You can't say, I'm completely unbiased. No, you aren't. You are biased. You have been shaped by the culture you grew up in. You're shaped by the experiences that you've had. You're shaped by what you believe. If a person says, I believe uh, presuppositionally, axiomatically, that there is a God, I believe that God exists. That's the first fact or the fundamental fact that I base my life on. That's going to change the way you see things like morality when you come down the, the stream. Are you with me? If a person says, I reject the idea that there's a God, I just believe that there was just time plus slime plus chance and there came the universe. That was amazing. Come on, you were that. <laughs> I have to just stop and just, just bask in how amazing that popping sound was. I've never successfully executed a pop like that before. So just playing. If you believe that it's time plus slime plus chance and that the, the, what we see and perceive about reality in the world is simply the the, out pro the processes and outworking of just natural causes back into infinity past or, or whatever, um, that is going to shape and change how you view other questions of life. Okay? Did I lose anybody? So that's a worldview. But here's the challenge with worldview. The challenge with worldview is because it's not what's actually real, it's the way you perceive reality, it's that we need to get it aligned and dialed in with what actually is, with what's actually real, with what's actually true, and with what is actually right. You see, yes, we all have a worldview, but it doesn't automatically mean that our worldview is accurate. And I'll give you an example of this. When I was about 14 or 15, it came to my attention that I could not see, that my vision was flawed. And being a perfectionist and, and you know, a, a one on the Enneagram, like totally wanting everything to be exactly right and perfect in my life and all put together, um, I didn't like that idea. So I resisted it for a long time. Of course I can see. Of course, I've eagle eye vision. I'm basically, if Chuck Norris and an eagle had, you know, vision baby, that would be my vision. You know, that was a horrible joke. But anyways, <laughs> but I didn't have good vision. And I went to uh, the optometrist there at Walmart, the finest medical care. <laughs> and uh, I got my vision test. They're like, yeah, you're, you, you need help. And so what happened is the doctor did the whole puff, the eye puff test. You know, you've been through this. It's a lot of fun. We all like it. And, uh, you know, they did their thing. They dialed me in and then they, they sent me out with my prescription. And when I went back and got my glasses, I remember at Walmart in Medford, Oregon, I remember walking out and seeing the rollback sign. A vision, a clear vision of beauty. You know, wow, 88 cents off today? Amazing. I could get sand toys for only 19 cents. I mean, whatever it was. But I, I had seen a rollback sign before, but I didn't really see it until all of a sudden my lenses corrected my vision. Are you with me? And, and go, walking out of the optometrist, nothing changed. The rollback sign was there when I walked in, just the same as it was when I walked out. But the difference was my perception and my ability to see. And so everyone has a worldview, but it needs to be dialed in so that you can see that which actually is when it comes to reality and the area of truth and the area of morality. Okay, so this is what we're talking about today, about getting our worldview aligned with what actually is. Now, Here's the thing. When you think about Christianity, it is often called, and not completely inaccurately, a religion. And I would classify a religion as a, as a series of steps or beliefs or things that you do in order to align yourself with a deity. So whether, you're, you know, whether you practice a different religion or the Christian religion, the Christian faith is a religion in some senses. There are things we do 
uh, that are Christian practices that we learn from the Bible or that we have from tradition or whatever, whatever stripe or creed you are of a Christian, there is an aspect of Christianity as a religion. But actually, calling Christianity a religion misses the point because what Christianity actually is is a worldview that is purporting to be the accurate picture, the true story of reality. In other words, when you read the scriptures, it's not like, hey, here's some nice stories that are to help us kind of in a metaphorical, abstract sense, live a nice life. That's not really what it is. What you actually see there is a description of the way the world actually is or isn't if the Christian faith and Christian worldview is a load of malarkey, okay? C.S. Lewis once said, the Christian faith is either of the utmost importance or it's not important at all. It either, it either is true and there is a God and he, and he did send Jesus to this planet to die on a cross for our sins and what we're doing here actually matters or we're all wasting our time. Because I don't know if you knew this, but there are actual live NFL football games on right now. Did anybody know that? So you knew it, yeah. You're here because you love Jesus, right? Yeah, he's like, I'm dialed in. There are things you could be doing with your time, and yet a few hundred of us decided to gather together in a movie theater on a Sunday morning to worship an invisible spiritual being. Sounds crazy when you put it like that, doesn't it? But it's either real, and God either exists or he doesn't, okay? And so the Christian faith is really a worldview that purports to be the true story of reality. In other words, to describe what actually exists, and therefore to be a Christian is to say, I want to be aligned with what the world actually is, with God's truth and what, how the world actually works. So this is what worldview is. Now, every worldview, are you guys with me? Everybody good? Everybody okay? You feel like you're getting smarter, huh? Like I, definitely, you're going to leave today and be like, <laughs> I'm looking for a spot of tea. I don't drink tea, but I'm looking for one, you know. Where is my monocle? <laughs> Anyways, thank you for those, that polite laughter. That was, I appreciate that. Every worldview, whether it's the, the Islamic worldview, whether it's the atheistic naturalistic worldview, whether it's the Christian worldview, has to answer three big questions, three fundamental questions. Now, how many of you as followers of Christ, those that are card-carrying members of the Christian faith, you get scared, like me, when people ask you tough questions that appear to invalidate or challenge maybe what you hold to be true? Anybody get scared? Well, what about this? Why does a loving God allow evil? What, why does God send people to hell? Uh, all these kind of questions. And you're like, um, oh, Jesus loves me. Shut up. You know, that was a friend of mine in Bible college. That was his response to every tough question. Jesus loves me. Shut up. There are worse answers, but you know, that's what he had. But I want to help you today because the reality is every worldview whether it's the Christian faith or not, it, it basically is based on a couple of assumptions or first facts that everything else is built on. And it's really three questions. What is real? What is the nature of reality? Where did this universe come from? I think it was Gottfried Wilhelm Leibniz that said, you guys are all fans of Gottfried Wilhelm Leibniz, right? He said, the fundamental question of metaphysics is this, why is there something rather than nothing? Why is there something rather than nothing? That's a good question, isn't it? That's a good one to ask when you're like at a lake in the middle of the night and you're looking at the stars. Why is there something rather than nothing? In other words, we look, at, we, we, we look around us and there's a world, there's a, there's, a, there's a universe and we live in it. And so we have to answer this question, where did it come from? And people throughout time and history have, have had to answer this question, where does the universe come from? And I don't care whether you are a dyed-in-the-wool Christian, a dyed-in-the-wool Muslim, a dyed-in-the-wool Buddhist, or a dyed-in-the-wool um, great spaghetti monster in the sky believer, 
or wherever you come from or whatever you think or believe, you have to answer that question. Why is there something rather than nothing? Why is there a universe that exists? It does exist. Philosophers throughout time have said, if we can ask the question, that means we do exist. You have to exist in order to answer, ask a question. Is that right? Right? And so if we are asking the question, then we do exist. Therefore, we have to answer the question. And whether you're a Christian or something else, you have to answer that question. So the thing is, a lot of times people will attack the Christian faith, but then they won't give an answer to that. You with me? So somebody says, well, you believe in God. That's nonsense. That's ridiculous. That's all mythology. Well, where do you think the universe came from? Well, or, um, or science. Nice one. That sounded really scientific. Appreciated that. Nice try. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. We both have to answer this question. Where does the universe come from? The Christian faith says what is real. It says, hey, we believe in an unmoved mover, just like Aristotle said. We believe in an uncaused cause. We believe that in a universe of physical causes, like the, the, the fact that dominoes are falling, that there had to be a cause at the very beginning that would have to be an un, a non-physical cause. So we believe in a spiritual being. And that's Christian, Christians aren't the only ones that believe in this. A lot of people believe in this that aren't Christians because they find it to be a rational, reasonable presupposition and assumption that we go, if we see a, a chain of causation throughout history and time, then there must have been a, a, a Genesis point, a moment. And therefore, in the, in the Christian worldview, it starts right in the very beginning with the answer to this question. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Where did the universe come from? It was created by God. He himself uncaused. He is spirit, as the Bible tells us. He is himself spirit, and therefore he is outside of space and time. He is not a, a he is not controlled by the laws of physics and science as we are as physical beings. He's the one that started this whole show. That is the beginning of the Christian worldview. The second question that every worldview has to answer is this, what is true? And this, this they, they build on each other because what is real, if there is a God, then that God that created all things is the one that determines that which is true. But also this question touches into how we know things. So if you want to get the really geeky term, it's epistemology, the, how we know what we know the study of truth. How many of you woke up today and thought, if I don't hear the word epistemology in the sermon today, I'm not going back to this church. I knew it. That's why I felt from the Holy Spirit if I didn't say epistemology. And I'm really epistemology off about it right now. So what is... <laughs> Thanks, Brittany. I knew I was going to get you on that one. I appreciate it. What is true? If God is real and he created this whole show, then he's also the one that sort of made the rules about the way it works. Are you with me? He's the designer. He created it. Therefore, he's also woven into it the, the idea of reason and logic and all truth is God's truth, whether that goes from the truth of science, scientific truth, the way the world works, the laws of physics, the laws of gravity. There's a reason why they're the laws of gravity and not the random happenings of gravity. If you're truly an atheist and you hold to this position and you don't believe there's any reason or rationality in a created design order inside the universe, you should be terrified to walk outside of your house every day because there is really no good reason you believe in the laws of science. You should just think they're the random happenings that might stop happening of science when you walk out of your house that you might float off into space. Didn't think about that, did you? The laws of science indicate that there was actually a lawgiver, the laws of logic, the laws of reason. And so truth is God's truth. It's why we are able to perceive the reasonable and rational nature of the world, even physically. People that think that science and Christianity are at odds with each other are misguided from both camps. A lot of Christians are afraid of science, but science is not antithetical to the Christian worldview. In fact, it's one of the greatest supporters because a Christian really believes there's a God with a brain that created everything. Therefore, you can find evidence of his design, of his handiwork, which we see. And I don't have time to go into all of that, but it's there. What is true? Second great question. You have to give an account for this in every worldview. And the third one, 
what is right. If there is a God and he's real, and that's where ultimate reality comes from, and he's established the laws of, of the way things work, and he's established truth, then from that, there's also this aspect of what is right. How shall we as human beings living in this system actually operate and live our life? So we believe as Christians that, that in the area of, of this answer to this question, what is right, that God's truth also guides how we should live. In other words, that which is right and that which is wrong. Okay, that was a lot of words. Is everybody okay? Are we all right? We're gonna get more practical today, get down kind of to where we live and how this applies to us. But basically every worldview has to answer these three questions. What is real? What is true? And what is right? And your answers to each of these three questions is what establishes your worldview and establishes the way you live. Therefore, when somebody comes and asks you a big, scary question, or if you have a big, scary question, you, you don't need to be scared of it. You need to look at it through the lens of these three questions and say, what is the satisfactory answer uh, based on this type of a thing? You see, what's happening, though, in our culture is that as we've thrown off what, we, what we're going to talk about here, divine truth, and like a single point of light that is to be our reference point, being God's truth shining into the world, as we've sort of rejected that, we've opened up this whole can of worms of confusion, which I'm going to talk about. But these, this is what it comes down to with worldview. You either accept the Christian worldview or some other worldview, but it has to answer these questions. What I want to look at today are three rival worldviews or three views about truth specifically that we are sort of seeing take place in our culture today. And I'll tell you the one that I vote for and that's, you know, advocate for. Are you ready? So the first one is this, individual truth. So basically we're saying, how do we come up with truth? Okay, we have a worldview. If I'm a Christian, I believe there's a God. He establishes truth and therefore his truth also establishes what is right or wrong. Um, uh, how, do we, how do we deal with this? So this is a view that we see is very prevalent in our culture today. Individual truth. Here's what it is. In this view, the individual determines moral and existential, that which concerns existence, truth for themselves. The individual is the final authority. And this is expressed through what we call relativism, which is I have my truth, you have your truth. How many of you have heard this? It's like truth and ice cream flavors. I prefer strawberry, you prefer chocolate. You think Jesus is God? I don't think he is, but we both coexist and everybody's happy and goes home and we skip together all the way back home. No, we don't because these are exclusive things that war with each other. So now what we've done in cultures, we want civility. We don't want violence. So instead of having wars about this, that's, I'm glad we don't have wars about it, but we've all retreated into this, these delusional fantasy lands um, where we've said two things that are mutually exclusive can both be true at the same time. That's not logical, Right. Uh, it's a problem. Anybody else think that's not logical? No one? Okay. You're like, Jake, you're talking too fast. I have a lot of notes to get through. I have my own truth. You have your truth. This idea of individual truth. I am the judge, jury, and executioner of that which is true. And this is something we see very prevalent. Again, if you get on Twitter right now and you say, hey, this is what's true, or this is what God says is true. You could even just quote a scripture verse and it could be labeled as hate speech. Because if it comes against what someone else is saying, and they go, well, that's your truth, but I have my truth. In other words, there's truth is a category that is determined by the individual. Has anybody seen this, right? And we do this too, because when we don't like something that's true, or it's very easy for us to go, well, I'm just gonna, that's not true for me. Well, that's not how truth works. Truth is either true or it's false. It can't be both and. So individual truth. Now here's the problem with this, guys. In a world in which individuals determine truth and are the final authority of truth, there can be no real relationships. 
okay? There could be no real relationships because there's no accountability. If I do something that is harmful, it's like if my wife, if I say to her, yeah, I did make a covenant with you in 2007 when we stood there together as two 22-year-olds and we professed our love and our faithfulness to each other, but I have a new truth now. Now that I'm in my mid-30s and this other person came along, I have a new truth and my new truth is that it's okay. I can open our relationship. And she says, well, that's not my truth. We have a conflict now. Now, how many of you know that's a real conflict that's actually happening in culture right now? Well, I don't feel the same. Okay, buttercup, that's okay. Feelings do change. I don't feel the same. It got hard. We had three kids. You look different than you looked before. It got hard. I lost my job. I don't feel the same. Circumstances have changed. And now I have a new truth. You're inventing it as you go. You have a new truth. It, it, it crushes relationships. Here's the thing. The, the, the Christian institutions of marriage throughout history have guarded and protected the, the sanctity of individual liberty for each person to be safe, at least in some level, because there's accountability to a shared truth. In other words, me as a husband and a man, I'm going to be faithful to my wife even when my feelings shift and change and my truth shifts and I get confused about what I feel or what I don't feel or whatever, but I'm anchored to a truth that is outside and apart from us. And because I'm not the individual determiner of truth, I'm actually going to stick with this and work on it rather than just split. Okay, now I just jumped through a bunch of categories there, but how many of you see what, what I'm talking about? When truth is individual, relationship suffers. You really can't have true relationships with other people if you don't have a shared idea of what is true and what is right. And it says this in Proverbs 14, 12, and this is ancient wisdom thousands of years ago that they, they knew this. Uh, Solomon or whoever wrote this, cha this chapter in Proverbs says, there is a path before each person that seems right, but it ends in what? Death. That's scary, isn't it? Let me give you an example. A couple of years ago, Bethany and I were coming back from Canada and we had a Cadillac Escalade, this nice SUV. We were taking this drive. It was about a 10 hour drive back to our home in Medford. We got into the mountains above Grants Pass and I was delusionally tired. Anybody been here? You've been driving eight, nine hours. Like Dutch Brothers doesn't make a strong enough drink to like fix what was wrong with me. And I'm like driving along. And all of a sudden, as I'm driving about 75 miles an hour in this SUV in the mountains above Grants Pass, it's dark, it's windy. It's like this kind of fall or winter night. I see a person dart across the road right in front of our car. And so I jam on the brakes and I crank the wheel and we go, you know, and I go up on two wheels and Bethany literally can see the pavement and I can see it too through the passenger side window. So I'm thinking we're dead. That's literally what I thought. I'm dead. And I mean, I always wish that I could pray like that last prayer, Jesus, forgive me for all my sins, but I forgot in that moment. You know what I mean? <laughs> It's oversaved, you know, but I, I'm looking over and I see the pavement. She sees the pavement and I think she's screaming and I'm like, ah, oh, we're dead. And all of a sudden, you know, we, we, the car reoriented and we hit four wheels on the pavement. We went all crazy and we didn't die. Just, I just disappeared. Poof. He was a ghost all this time. We pull over to the side of the road and I have a near heart attack. And she goes, what did you do that for? And I'm like, you didn't see that person? She goes, it was a plastic bag. <laughs> there is a way, there is a path that seems right, but it ends in death. How many times in life do we think that we see, we know, we get it, this is my truth, I'm lying, I know, and we're, and we're gonna jerk that wheel and it ends in death. Do you, do you trust your capacity and your ability to be the, the, the judge, jury, and executioner of what is true? Or do you think maybe it would be smarter 
if instead of following the trend or following just what feels good in the moment that you said, actually, maybe there's a source of light that shines from outside of my, me that I could orient myself to. The second view of truth is social truth. And I'm going to rush through this, but this is just where we say that society or culture or the majority determines moral truth and existential truth. And so what's best for the many is deemed to be right and true. If you lived in Germany circa 1938, this is the situation you found yourself in. And you find, we find ourselves in this today. If, the, if more people think that something is good or bad, then that makes it good or bad. How many of you know that if you're a minority in this situation or a Jew or a gypsy or a handicapped person in 1938 in Germany, this is not a good story. You, you're not happy about the fact that, that society, that the government, that the, that the majority is determining truth. This is why even our political movements throughout history have tried to adapt because to deal with human wickedness, we've had to say, hey, it can't just be a pure, you know, if 51 people want something and 49 don't, then, it, then it's going to automatically go that way. The reason why is because human beings don't always get it right. And in large groups, we especially don't get it right. Are you with me? If you take one stupid person and then you multiply it by 100, you don't get a smart person or a smart group. Are you with me? I know this because, man, you see the Schmelzer family like on a Monday morning trying to recover from Sundays, you know, we're like multiplied stupidity. I'm going crazy and the kids are going crazy and you're supposed to laugh. But anyways, okay. Social truth. So this is where, where we let the majority or what do more, more people think about this? And, and what's crazy in our culture is we have both of these things working. Individual truth. I have my truth. You have yours. And social truth. Hey, a bunch of us have agreed that this thing that the Bible says is not true. Therefore, it's not true anymore. And you're basically outmoded and, and you're, you're, you're this phobia or phobic of this or whatever, because you're saying that you're going to hold on to this ancient book or whatever. But more of us think that. And therefore, now in culture, you're dealing with both of these things. And that's, this is why we're in this like cultural moment. And it's just chaos today where you can't agree and disagree. And it's driving us literally insane. You realize that young people are so in such despondency and despair that they're deciding to take their own lives, the lives of others. People are turning to alcohol, drugs, all kinds of escapes. There's, and no wonder why, because the boat is full of holes and we're sinking anyways. We might as well jump off and get it over with. But see, this is the thing. When we've just decided either truth for me or truth for us, rather than truth from God, we find ourselves in a world of hurt. That's why in Romans 12, 2, the apostle Paul says, hey, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world. Don't be conformed to the way of this world. Let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think, which means to say this, the way you think is broke and you need God to fix it. The way that Jake thinks, the way I think is broken. It's busted. My lens is distorted. I'm the person that almost kills us trying to save a plastic bag <laughs> because I don't see accurately and this leads us to the third view of truth, the one that we want to lean into, which is this, divine or absolute truth. Divine or absolute truth. Truth and morality are established by God as the ultimate source of reality. He made it all. He's the one that built the laws and the rules of logic and science. He's the one that orchestrated and architected the system. And therefore God says, hey, I not only created galaxies and stars and waterfalls and wildebeest, but I created you as a human being and I fearfully and wonderfully made you in your mother's womb. And I have called you beloved and treasured from the day before you were even born. I knew you, but I have a plan and a purpose for your life. And if you will live according to how I've designed you to live, you will find fulfillment and satisfaction. And yet we get so confused and clouded by sin and our own selfish desire and our fallen nature, we want to run away from our designer. It's like pulling up in a nice Mercedes Benz diesel engine and telling the guy at the gas pump, you want unleaded today. 
It's the wrong fuel for what is, you were designed for. Truth and morality are established by God as the ultimate source of reality. Truth in this, in this view is a category that exists independent of our preference or observation. You either believe that truth is true for you and for everybody else, and it's outside of what you want it to be or what you'd like it to be, or you don't. But if you think truth is a matter of your preference, you're going to live a very lonely, isolated, painful existence and also outside of observation. So in other words, we can see something and think that we see it, but we might not be, but our observation doesn't change what is actually true. You guys hear what I'm saying? Truth in this conception is a, is a category that exists external from us, what we want or what we see. Now there's a lot of safety in this because it says, even if I'm flawed and I mess it up from time to time, I can run back to the source. That light remains pure and true and I can continue to go back to that. And we see this in the natural world. We see that God's truth exists as a category in the areas of science, um, the laws of science. We talked about this. We see it reflected in the laws of logic and we see it in mathematics. Aren't you glad that two plus two is four, whether you're a Democrat or a Republican? No, somebody said, we'll find a reason to fight about that, won't we? How many of you would say, yeah, I agree. Whether you voted for Nader, Hillary, Trump, or whoever you voted for, uh, two plus two is four. Are we, are we okay on that? You're just waiting for like the hammer to drop, huh? Everybody's too scared. It is, guys, it's okay. Two plus two is four. There is truth woven into the fabric of the universe that exists external of our preference and observation. But we also, here's where it gets a little sticky. This is where we just go right to the uncomfortable part right before we go beat the other churches to the best restaurants. Is when it comes to morality. And when God says, I have a way that I want you to live that is against what you maybe naturally or natively want to do. And truth in the areas of science and truth in the area of logic and truth in mathematics is, is universal and it is absolute and it is divine. It is external to humans but it's also the same way in the area of morality, even though every single one of us longs for, desires to fulfill ourselves outside of God's plan for us in the area of morality. But here's the thing. We also see God's absolute truth reflected in the moral law. The fact that right and wrong exist as categories and are intrinsic. In other words, they're native to us as human beings. For instance, that all people intuitively perceive the difference between right and wrong even if they disagree about where to place the line. So you hear people say, well, morality is internal. Like it's, there's a, a law, of, a moral law. We determine what's right and wrong. And they'll say, yeah, but a diff different cultures have different morals. Well, they don't have they, have, they put the line in a different place sometimes. But the fact that they acknowledge a line at all, that they say the line goes somewhere, even if they disagree about where it goes, shows that there is a moral law on the inside. Are you with me? There is a moral law. It actually exists. And so what happens is, even though there's variation, everyone makes a distinction. And what's happening is there's a tacit admit, admittance that the, about the intrinsically real nature of morality. And that's a lot of words. Let me just break it down and say this. God has ordained that which is right and what is wrong. He determines it, and it's not up to you or I. And we actually, on the inside, know that. Like, we know when we're violating our conscience, right? When Jiminy Cricket is saying, don't do that, Pinocchio. You know, and we're like, Whoa. we know when we're doing the wrong thing, right? We know when we're stepping outside of what God has ordained, stepping outside of what he's called us to do. And that could be in, the, and that could be in any, any number of areas. It could be in the area of sexuality. It could be in the area of, of uh, what you do with your money. It could be how you treat other people. It could be all these different areas. 
But, but basically, when we accept this view of truth, it goes all the way down to where we live on a daily basis, that God has the right to say, this is right, this is wrong. And it's up to us to say, hey, are we going to try to make our own path? Or are we going to align ourselves to what God said? Because that's the solid rock, finding that place of truth. Let me give you a couple application steps and we'll get out of here. Number one, we need to come to this place where we accept that our thinking is flawed, right? Where we don't see ourselves as the, as the perfectly clear lens of being able to interpret and know. And honestly, Christians, this isn't a Christian or non-Christian thing. This is for every person even people that are following Jesus, that have given their life to Christ, that are following Jesus, we need to recognize, I need to continually go back to the scripture. I need to continually get into the presence of God and allow him to rework me and change and transform my thinking so that it aligns with what God thinks and how God treats people and how God sees the world. So we need to accept that our thinking apart from him is flawed. Number two, don't let what's trending determine what's true. I don't have time to get into this, but I'd love for everybody to go read Romans 1 where it talks about how God will allow us if we continually buck against and push against and say, well, we're going to follow this way. He eventually turns us over to what we're doing and, you know, and lets that go on. Read in Romans 1 about that and what happens there. And here's the thing is that you can be very popular and accepted and be very with it uh, in your beliefs and in what you call right and wrong by following the tide of culture, following the trend of culture but that's not necessarily going to be lining up with what actually is and what, what is real. And so as Christians, there are going to be things in every generation that are unpopular that we say, yeah, but this is what God said in his word. And there's going to be another storm. And where you're standing right now in five years might be a swamp. Uh, and where we're standing right and we're going to keep on this rock, even though it's unpopular right now. You with me? Okay. So when somebody says as a Christian, if somebody says you're being hateful, first of all, check yourself. Are you being a jerk and religious and judgmental? If you are, stop. But don't, don't take out your brain about what's true. There are a lot of people that are religious jerks that are actually technically correct about what's true, okay? But if somebody comes and says, you're hateful, you're, you're coming against this lifestyle, or you're saying this, and you're just bigoted or hateful, or that's this, or whatever— Look, at, look down at your feet and examine where you're standing and don't be in a position of arrogance to judge other people. But if you're on the rock, if you're in a biblical worldview, you're in a Christian worldview, don't move your feet just because the trending and culture is moving around. You guys with me? Don't let what's trending determine what's true. And then third, we all need to respond to the truth of Jesus. I wanna talk about this more. I don't have time, but in John 14, six, Jesus tells his disciple, Thomas, Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one can come to the Father except through me. Truth is not just some abstract concept that we read in books, even just reading the Bible. Uh, truth is a relationship that we have with Christ because there's, there's something about let, literally giving every part of your life, even your emotions and your relationship with Jesus, uh, giving it all over to God. And we come to truth as we come to know Jesus in a dynamic way. There are a lot of people that are like, I've got truth. And they sit all by themselves, getting deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into the Bible and yet getting farther and farther and farther and farther away from God. We need to read the Bible, absolutely. But we know the scripture as we know Christ and we know Christ through the scripture. And there's a dynamic relationship here. So what am I saying? We need to have a personal relationship, a real, actual, tangible relationship with Jesus Christ. And so if you're here today, whether you've been following Jesus, you call yourself a Christian, you have a, you're a card-carrying member of church, of Christianity, 
We need to know Jesus. Come on, every day I go back, oh, Jesus, I need to know you more. I wanna know you. Change me from the inside out. I don't just relate to Jesus through intellect and through uh, books and study and learning. There's a real relationship there that affects me at every level of life. But I know that there's only one way. It's through a relationship with Jesus. Let's bow our head and close our eyes today. If you're here, I know we talked about a lot of stuff. This was a lot of, of message today. But if you're here today and you're like, Pastor Jake, I want what you're talking about. I want a real relationship with Jesus. I don't want fake. I don't want just religion. I don't want what my conception is of what it means to be a Christian. It means you vote a certain way, listen to a certain type of music and never have any fun. I don't want that. I want Jesus. Like I want the real thing, the authentic thing. If you want to put your faith and trust in Jesus today, this is your moment. The scripture is very clear that we are separated from God because of our sin but God made a way for us to be reconciled and he wants nothing more. He loves you so much. And, if, and today is your opportunity to say, I wanna follow Jesus with my life. Doesn't mean you're perfect. Doesn't mean instantly everything about you changes. It just means you start this journey of faith and you can make that decision today. If that's you and you wanna put your faith in Jesus today, would you raise your hand so I can see? Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I wanna follow Jesus for real. Go ahead, lift it up. Lift it up. Thank you. That's awesome. So awesome. What a great decision. Pray this prayer with me. Let's all pray it together. And we're going to give you some, some steps to take. Dear Jesus, I thank you for your grace and mercy revealed to me at the cross where you gave your life for me and made a way for me to be reconciled with you. I give you my life, every part, the good, the bad, my success and my failure. And I bring it to the cross and I lay it down at your feet and I receive your life that you poured out for me. I put my faith and trust in you. Give me the grace to follow you the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen.